0: Indeed, episode number fifty-one, Razzball Fantasy Baseball Podcast Sun Edition. I am always joined by what should I call you? The the Sayer, the I don't know, Joe Joe Bar, the Sayer, the, the, the true Sayer.
1: I don't know what I've done to deserve such a title, but uh, we can work on it. For now, you can just call me your co-host. <laughs> but
0: uh... <laughs> no, it's uh, you know you guys all know Joe. Um, he's done a bunch. I mean, I've been potting with him for a while. We did a bunch in the offseason. Uh, he's been writing the daily, we, uh, weekly Mr. Hooper on Monday. Uh, great article. You know, a lot of people love it. You know, they, they love your writing style. They love the content that you're writing. So uh, if you guys are not familiar, go check out Razzball Mondays, the Mr. Hooper column. Uh, just random tidbit thoughts. Uh, usually biased toward the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, usually, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I think you did a really good job with the Brooklyn Nets piece, the Brooklyn Mets, the Brooklyn mess. So, uh, yeah, everyone go check that out. Um, Before we get started, let me uh, take care of business because we are big time now. Thrive Fantasy, come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is the daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. You hit the most props, rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over 100,000 guaranteed in prizes for the opening nights of the NBA season. You can use Razzball as the promo code when you sign up. You'll receive a 100% instant first deposit match of up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store. Or play store by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com sign up and prop up today all right we got a lot of random shit we're gonna talk about today um usually in the, in the very beginning i'm just gonna you know some some stats that kind of uh stood out to me um i was watching some victor Wembanyama highlights <laughs> i mean we've, we've talked about it before and he's just unbelievable but I just saw that. Okay, so he's seven foot four. He has an eight foot wingspan. Like that's freaking insane. So to put that in perspective, you know Rudy Gobert is only a seven foot eight. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's insane. So the the player with the longest wingspan was Manu Bol, eight feet six inches. Whoa. Fucking unbelievable. So all right, that was just a random thing. I was you know that just went into my head. Uh, in terms of stats. Pelicans first in points per game. Cleveland seventh. LA Clippers dead last. Uh, ew, yuck. Denver, the only team shooting above fifty percent from the field. Detroit is at a gross forty two point six percent. There are four teams averaging over forty trades per game. So ten years ago, no team was over twenty nine. Five years ago, the you know, the Warriors that they basically, you know, started the revolution. So mm-hmm. they were the only team over thirty. So it's uh, yeah, the proliferation of the three has been crazy. The Spurs, they lead the league in both dimes and turnovers. Toronto is only the only team with about 10 steals per game. Brooklyn, interestingly, they lead the league in blocks by a wide margin. And I think that's primarily due to Utah Watanabe, I believe. So, all right, Milwaukee, they got the best defense, uh, defensive rating by a, a wide margin. Uh, the Lakers, they are no longer the worst shooting team. In the league, OKC has the worst true shooting percentage. Uh, Milwaukee, 7th in offensive rebounding. They were 15th last season. They lead the league in total rebounds. So, uh, you know, since you are the Milwaukee guy, I kind of want to touch on this. So, um, Budenholzer, you know, in the past, he used to get a lot of flack for not being, you know, just being rigid in his, in, in his type of philosophies. Uh in-game adjustments things like that uh he's got a lot of shit but man you know like over the last year or so i've been very impressed with him you know obviously you know they won the chip a few years ago but then you know over the summer read a lot of stuff how uh, he realized the weakness of the three-point defense so he tweaked the defensive scheme in the offseason and that's you know we highlighted the last part that they made tremendous improvements in three-point defense and then Recently, the last week, I read an article where they put more of an emphasis on offensive rebounding because uh, they were thinking like, okay, especially in the playoffs, you cannot rely on transition buckets. Uh, And then when in the half court, when it gets bogged down, um, you know, so he basically just wanted to try to manufacture more possessions, which is like really smart, right? So, um, I mean, I've, you know, listening to more interviews of Bollermann-Hauser, just reading a lot of stuff like this, like, Like I really have uh, garnered a greater appreciation and and respect for him as a coach. So as a Milwaukee guy, give me your thoughts on, on some of those things.
1: I think, I mean, I think that you hit it. He has definitely started to grow a little bit. You can see kind of the, the thinking changing a little bit as far as how he approaches like applying systems versus like what his talent is. Um, you know, I only lived in Milwaukee for the last two years, but a good friend of mine is a big Bucks fan. He's from here, and he was talking about just like how early in Chris Middleton's career, Bud just like refused to like let him shoot in the mid-range because it was the least valuable shot, um, despite the fact that like Middleton is just really, really good from there. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like you're starting to slowly see this adoption over time of like uh, being less system-dependent and more willing to change and willing to sort of uh, make adjustments I feel like that that was one of the big things that allowed the bucks to get sort of over the hump and, and into into the finals into a, a championship status is like uh, their butt is just a little bit less rigid and you can see it now when you're talking about the way that they're approaching their defects because you're exactly right like the, the main approach for the last couple of years was, uh, we're not going to give up anything at the rim and we'll, we're willing to concede threes, particularly threes above the break. Um, but I'm, I'm on dunksandthrees.com right now, which is a mm-hmm. really wonderful website. It is paywalled. which is kind of frustrating, but um, I'm looking at the, the defensive numbers for the bucks and you're right. The, the bucks do have the best uh, defensive rating. Uh, we give it up 103 points per possessions um, but it's amazing to when they break it down by distance. The Bucks have the best defense at the rim, allowing uh, an effective field goal rate of 48.7%. Or excuse me, 48 percent is the overall. At the rim, they're second, giving up 57%. In the mid-range, they're 10th, giving up 39.5%. And from three, they're seventh. Uh, teams are shooting 50% from three. It's just like, where do you beat this team now defensively? Because the idea that you're going to sort of concede one area against the other, um, it seems to be a little bit more hom- harmonious this time. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see sort of what this looks – you know, what sort of tweaks and changes come over the, the length of the season here. Um, in the playoffs, things will get more difficult, and you won't be able to take away everything. But – they're doing a pretty nice job of doing that already in season now. It's uh, I mean it's crazy. <laughs> it's uh, I,
0: and I really appreciate that you know what he's doing because, you know, most coaches, um, you know, I think the eagle gets too too involved, right? Like, you know, it's my my way of the highway or my system or you know they try to fit uh, square pegs into round holes type of thing. Um, I really. you know appreciate coaches that um you know attack weaknesses um identify strengths you know that and as you know as a Raiders fan as much as I hate you know the Patriots and Bill Belichick like that's one thing I've always admired about him right like because he's very uh adaptable uh and and you know the funny thing is it's like he just does the logical but by doing the logical, he's viewed as a genius because most of the other people are not doing the logical, right? right. which is just great. So, you know, the whole, you know, keep it simple, stupid type of philosophy. Like, you know, sometimes the most obvious answer is right in front of your face and then you just do it. So, yeah, I really appreciate uh, what, what he's doing. Um, I didn't get the chance to I looked at the box where so I didn't get a chance to look at the uh, the replay or the highlights of the game against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. uh yeah last night uh did you get a chance to check it out by chance
1: i was not able to take a look at that, yeah. uh, that game. uh one of the frustrating things about living here is that if it's not a national game we like blocks it. it out yeah uh, so dumb
0: yeah,
1: the yeah getting like a vpn or or something that can like disguise my location is something that i've meant to do for years and just like haven't done it um but yeah it is it is obnoxious good news is like they're on national broadcast fairly regularly yeah and as we exactly. discussed last time you can just go to a game for a couple of dollars
0: <laughs> I, I still can't believe that. that's like that's so insane so I you know Trey Young didn't play I mean DeJounte Murray I saw some of the highlights like he was phenomenal in the mid-range uh I need to I want to dig in oh Griffin yeah so AJ Griffin went 10 for 15 from the field he's the sharpshooter rookie from Duke um yeah, I want to watch that game to see exactly you know what they did I mean they pretty you know 117.98, um, they handled them pretty well so uh, yeah that'll be interesting I want to take a look at that all right let's get on to our next topic of conversation here um, Raptors they lost Siakam for a few weeks at least at the minimum uh, he had a 29% usage rate he was I mean he was playing phenomenally so we have one game sample size um, the usage rate was spread out. Uh, Van Vliet was at 26. OG Scotty around 21%. Trent at 26%. Boucher played 22 minutes off the bench. Precious played 14 minutes. Their usage rate 21, 22%. Uh, Coloco got the start again. He played 31 minutes. You know he definitely affects my Precious the most.
1: Um, yeah, he does. Yeah.
0: yeah, and you know initially the plan was to you know have Coloco in the g league and just have them you know develop but uh i mean he's shown that the game is not too big for him and uh you know i remember in the summer um and i wrote up some of the notes like over there at the at the athletic you know th- the interesting story was that you know all the vets like fed van vliet and all those guys like when they were playing summer runs at ucla they all were like I want to play with Coloco. I want to play with Coloco. You know, he's an excellent screener. He helps us out on the offensive side. That way, his IQ on defense, like they were raving about it. And so like, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? The drum breeds were there. And then when he actually started playing, you know, he showed that the game is not too big for him. I personally think that he's going to be a significant part of the rotation going forward just because I think... He gives them stuff that no one else can on both sides of the court. Uh, So I had a few conversations last night, actually, uh, where people were not buying into him and they were a little still skeptical about him. Uh, So I wanted to, yeah, what are your thoughts on Coloco?
1: I think he's definitely going to play. I mean, he's already got two, four, six starts in 11 games, and I think uh, roster construction is really going to matter for him. You know, the if there were if there were holes in the Toronto rotation, it was that they didn't have a backup point guard, and they had a lot of guys that like are four and a halfs and no fives. Um, but he's 7'1", 230, He's a big guy. Um, you can see the kind of impact that he's making around the basket already. Uh, you know, averaging a, a block and a half a game. Um, you know, he's he's gone on this little run of starting games going back to Halloween night. Um, and he's averaged 21, almost 22 minutes a game during that stretch. I think I think offensively, he's not going to get a lot of touches or a lot of looks just because there are, there are better options at this point. Um, But defensively, I mean, during that stretch of games, he's averaging 2.4 blocks, so there's a ton of value in the shot blocking, obviously really skewed by that six-block game against the the Bulls, but I would be really encouraged that he's going to continue to play just because there really hasn't been a time when he hasn't played a lot already. You know, foul trouble will be an issue just because he's a young big and that's a, a common pitfall, but... You know, the, the Raptors have, have run out, you know, Boucher at the five or Siakam at the five, uh, Kem Birch at the five. There have been a bunch of, like, sort of placeholder guys there. But the fact that they've turned to him so early and they're letting him play and, and getting him all, giving him all this time, I think that there's there's good run. I wouldn't be super uh, reliant on him for offensive numbers, but those blocks should be legit
0: yeah no for sure um yeah i think uh yeah he's very raw on the offensive end so but he does give them a lot of because he's so big whereas you know the other guys uh you know boucher has been you know the fantasy nerds wet dream for quite some time and he's good but he's just too skinny you know to man yeah. to man the five right so uh, i don't think like i think he just maintains his role uh Aaron Rose over at Sports Illustrated wrote an article the other day and I referenced it in a tweet I sent out. So the Raptors defense with and without Coloco is stark. So when mm-hmm. Coloco's on the court, ninety six point five rating. When he's off the court, one hundred fifteen point one. I mean, that's like that's elite, right? And that spread is huge. And also, I think, you know, OG is putting up crazy steal numbers and Coloco may be a factor in that because he's able to gamble more shoot the passing legs more knowing that he has the guy behind him right so uh, you know that helps in that way and I think for me this is such a minor thing but like because he's such a good screener on the screener role and he's protecting the rim like you know the offensive guys like that's how he helps on offense right where there's other guys in other positions where you know, they are not doing that. They're basically a zero on the offensive end and then it's like you're awake. You're just standing there, right? But he's actually providing an impact and guys want to play with him, which I think endears him not only to his teammates but to the coaching staff too. So um you know, granted the sample size is small, but, you know, I mean I I, I do think that uh I do think that he's gonna be a significant contributor going forward. I you know he's just only gonna get more experience and, and get better, I think. Uh whereas and I, I i wanted to I, I plugged this in i put this into the notes you know late so uh but i kind of wanted to touch on it too so like james Wiseman, right so yeah. like colloco and Wiseman, it's a very interesting case study for both real life and, and fantasy basketball right in the offseason everybody we're all getting hyped on Wiseman. i mean i even i, I even took him in a, a dynasty 30 league when you know i should have took one to carter jr instead but i was like ah oh, the upside and you know Just, you know, everything that you're reading and, you know, reading stuff, it was, like, very good. You know, they said, like, his awareness was getting better. Steve Kerr was talking him up. So, I'm like, okay, so it's good. So, his trajectory was going up, whereas Coloco was like, ah, he's raw. He's going to extend to the G League. He's not going to do anything, right? So, totally opposite ends of the spectrum. But, you know, once, you know, the lights came on, I mean, Wiseman, I mean, he's just having troubles. To the point where he, I don't think he even played last game, right? And so, he has a lot of work. Right. And so, you know, they're talking about Kominga having more minutes, you know, because of his struggles, whereas Coloco, he starts playing, right. And he starts playing well and he's making an impact. Right. And, and it seems like the perception has changed, you know, uh, but I think there's still a lot of people that are doubting it, you know, but, you know, I think like when new information comes to light, you have to reassess, right. What that new information is and then react accordingly. So, um, I guess, you know, let's transition to Wiseman then, you know, because of that, because I put him in at the end, but I think it's kind of, you know, apt. Any, anything that you see or feel in, in regards to that situation?
1: I guess just sort of broad strokes. You know, the real difference between, well, I mean, there are many differences between Coloco and Wiseman, but one of the big ones is that where Coloco doesn't really have uh, an entrenched starter or a really valuable player, um at his position. Uh, Looney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looney is just so important to yeah. the Warriors' sure. success. There's such a level of trust with him. Um uh, you know, it in order to really sort of crack into enough playing time. I mean the other thing about Wiseman too is like he just doesn't really play enough. Um his high game this year is nineteen minutes. Like that's it's not enough to really be fantasy relevant. And I, I wonder if it's Really enough to develop. Period. You know, this is a, a guy who just has not played that much. Um, so talking about like the idea of Coloco starting the G League, like you could make the argument that Wiseman would be better served as playing the G League and actually getting that that rep. Um, but yeah, the you know the, the Warriors are the Warriors are trying to win now. They have a championship window that ex- that is extending for this year, next year, maybe a year beyond that. They're trying to do two tracks of of developing these young guys and still being competitive. Um, it doesn't really look like Wiseman has a home with this current roster because they're not the Warriors aren't winning. They're not they're not winning basketball games now, um, and uh, there's not enough time for Wiseman to really like get in there during these losses. And so. He's, he feels like he's kind of getting squeezed, as opposed to Coloco, who's who's really got this big opportunity in front of him. Um, and despite the fact that he's shooting, I just looked this up. He's shooting 65% at the rim, which is not nearly high enough if you're a center. Um, he's got plenty of runway because the rest of that roster, there's a there's no sort of competition in front of him, and B like there there isn't the same sort of uh, uh, <laughs> impetus to succeed now.
0: Right. now that's a really good point. Opportunity. Um it's a huge thing. And then when you get the opportunity, what are you able to do with it? Wiseman has a, a quality offer in twenty twenty four, so he's on the books for twelve million next year. If you're the Warriors, you know, you got the Draymond Green contract situation, right? Um you got Wiseman, I mean I've you know, I've listened to some pods, and, you know, you know, some were like, well, you know, you basically have to get rid of 12 million somewhere, so why not just trade Wiseman and, and get a pick now, and maybe a useful player, <laughs> uh, and use that money for, for Draymond? I, I mean, I don't know, what, like, what would you do there?
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I'm one of these guys that says, like, I don't know how you win without Draymond Green if you're the Warriors. I think he's just, like, so sort of foundational to how this all works. It doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me that, you know, they added Pool, Obviously, they're paying Poole a bunch of money. Uh, I feel like you can find guards who can sort of slot into that spot a, a lot easier than you can find the, the Draymond replacement. Um, I don't know. I, I'm also just not very inclined to give Draymond Green another big contract. As yeah, a 33-year-old, uh, um, but you know, I it would be it would be easier. I'm sure the Warriors feel this way too. It'd be really nice if Wiseman or Kaminga um, were really forcing the issue, if, yeah. if they were if they were knocking on the door and saying, we got to have more time, we got to be able to play this. But without without really an in-house answer. You know, maybe maybe you do pay Draymond. Uh, I mean, it's easy enough for me to spend Joe Up's money, right? But <laughs> this team is going to be very expensive. It already is. Yeah.
0: That's gonna yeah. It's gonna be interesting. You know, if yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think how many teams have been able been able to transition from dynasty to dynasty without experiencing some turmoil or hardship without, you know, kind of not bottoming out, but, uh, experience some, some pain, I guess, uh, maybe i have to do some research on that, but off the top of my head, I, I can't, I can't think of one, you know, can you, off the top of your head? no,
1: right. Uh, nothing really stands out to me. And I'll be honest, like, I, I was kind of caught off guard by the Warriors championship last year. And maybe that, you know, that's a failing on my part, but, um, no, I was it was really, surprising,
0: for sure. Yeah, it was surprising, yeah.
1: I was a real believer in what Phoenix was doing. Yeah. Um, I even liked Memphis in that series, uh, mostly because of the timing of injuries. And, and Memphis really gave him a run, obviously with Morant in and out. was was really challenging. But I don't know. I feel like sort of the end comes quickly for Dynasties. And for sure. the, the fourth championship for the Warriors, uh, I know it was you know, thought of as like one of the sweeter ones. I also think that that really could be the last one They're I don't know. This Western conference is so mushy right now. Most because the jazz nine and three.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, I was reading some article the other day and the guy, you know, basically I forgot the ultimate name, so I apologize, but, you know, he made a good point, you know, like most of the great teams, you know, I mean, yeah, you got the stars, but it's really about those, you know, the Robert Oris, you know, the mm-hmm. Rick Foxes, you know, like, um, like those role players, you know, the, you know, Gary Payne last year was huge, Otto Porter, like those guys, you know, like, they actually become more important for those type of teams, right, because yeah. they provide something whereas the Warriors right now, they're just so young. Uh, they're missing not only like the veteran presence and experience, but a lot of the kind of utility on both sides of the court that you know that those guys are bringing so yeah it'll be interesting all right enough slobbering over the Warriors man (laughs) let's get on to uh let's get on to the guy you know I kind of want to slobber over uh Desmond Bain (laughs) um you know it's I mean it, it this one hurts me right because there were signs where towards the end of draft season I was like yeah like, I need, to be, I need to have this guy higher, but I just didn't put him higher. And I ended up taking Zach Levine over him in my main event draft, which which hurts. I mean, it's not as bad as I expected, but, you know, I'm glad Levine is playing some back-to-backs, but he's missed game. But anyways, so I wanted to dig in a little bit more on Bain. You know, so he's 22nd player on a per-game basis right now. I, I never thought, he, like, he would get to that level. You know, he was going in, you know, around the fifth round of drafts. Um, but, you know, there were signs, right? Like, so, from rookie season to sophomore, turnover percentage went down. 1.5% uh, despite, you know, he saw a 7% usage bump. True shooting basically stayed the same. Went from 60 to 59%. So, uh, I remember Drew Dinkmeyer uh, over at Established Rent, Run. Uh, he kind of cited those stats, too, and that's one of the reasons why he was super high on Bain. Uh, so... Yeah, that, that kind of like sparked my interest and then I dug more into it. Um, since StatHead had kept track, there's only been eight players that have had a true shooting of at least 60, usage percentage of at least 25, and a turnover rate below 10%, 10% or below with at least 1,000 field goal attempts. Kiki Vandeweghe did it twice, Kawhi Leonard three times, Kyrie Irving, Dirk Nowitzki three, Anthony Davis, Michael Jordan three, Glenn Rice, Bradley Beal. Desmond Bain could be the ninth guy like he's right there and his usage rate has actually increased i think it's like at yeah. 27 28 right it's with and the turnover rate is only at 10.1 so you know it's it, it's insane and um you know so first let me hear your thoughts on bane in general and then i guess the main reason for bringing him up is you know how can we i guess there were signs of his breakout, right? And some people saw it; a lot of people didn't. But how can we use that for the future drafts? Uh, so for next year's drafts, are there things that we can, you know, take away from his situation, or are there things that stats or whatever circumstances that we can identify to kind of help us find, uh, you know, this type of player? So yeah, go for it.
1: In general, I'm glad that Desmond Bain is haunting someone else instead of haunting me. <laughs> I, um, yeah, that, he was my worst drop last year. Um, I got him in a couple of places this year. Um, you know, I, I think that I also am surprised to see him as a top 25 player. The, the turnover bump is really interesting. Like, I, I right now, I've, I find that I'm sort of disregarding turnovers when I'm drafting players, yeah. um, but there's a lot of value that he's getting because he's scoring so efficiently. He's using his usage rate is so high, um, and he just he doesn't hurt you in that category too. Yeah, um, I you know I don't know I don't know what the future is going to look like for him just because when I see a player jump up like this, one of the things that I look at is their shot diet. Um, And so this is the lowest amount. He's going to the rim less frequently this year than he has in any of his, in either of the past two seasons. And right now that three point percentage is at 46% on almost nine attempts. So I feel like, I feel like this is pretty big. This is a, uh, it's been a big week or a big sort of start to the, to the season for him. I don't know. I wouldn't expect it to be this good going forward. Um, When you talk about like ways that we should be identifying these players, you know, true shooting is not a thing that I look at very often, but maybe it's something that I, that I should. Um, Other than that, like, you know, some of the other notes that you have here, like new roles, new situations. Um, one of the things that, that I was talking about was, uh, a guy in our 30 team league when he was talking about whether he wanted to keep Bane in a different league was like, you know, why can't this guy be the, the Memphis Clay Thompson? And what I meant by that was like, uh, the value of a secondary score shooter and playmaker next to your sort of offensive engine in Morant, um, you know, he's, he's super efficient. He's a really good shot maker, um, a good defender that will keep him on the floor. Like, I feel like those are things that you could have seen coming, you know, that he just – he had this job locked down. You know, there was much concern from people like me about Anthony Melton or, or Dylan Brooks, but he's just a much – he's a much steadier scorer than both of those guys. Um He's got a big body. I, I the one thing that I included is he's like a linebacker, man. <laughs> the other thing that I, that I included in your your ideas of things to look at in your second half stats, usage, turnovers, true shooting, um, is he's a slightly older player. I feel like I feel like I've I've fallen into this trap that a lot of people do of just like you get sort of dazzled by the rookie. Um, and it happened with it's happening with Scotty Barnes a little bit. It's happening, happened really big with Evan Mobley this year. Uh, just like you know, we see these guys who do so well as 19 or 20 year olds, uh, and you just assume like, well, it's gotta, it's gotta go up quickly from here because he's, you know, look what he did as a 19 year old. And you know, Bain came in as like a 23 year old, 22 yeah, older, year old.
0: Yeah. That was a knock on him, yeah. He was older prospect.
1: And I feel like he's, you're. You're more ready to compete in the NBA when you're when you're older and more physically developed. Um, I mean, the fact that he it feels like he's sort of taking over here in year three. Well, it makes it makes sense to me that, that that's what's happening because uh, he's sort of he's 25 years old now. You know, he's this is yeah. the time when he's not going to be bullied around like some of these younger players might. So that'd be a yeah. thing also taking into consideration. But yeah, definitely. You know, but, I do remember
0: um, before the start of last year, in summer league, they had him, Memphis had him playing summer league and they specifically wanted him uh, to have more ball handling responsibilities. And so that was a thing then, and it kind of prepared him for, you know, not only when Morant goes down, but also as you're alluding to, kind of like that secondary uh, operator. And, you know, I think that's something that I remember hearing. But it didn't really register a click to like to that degree, right? And uh, I may be overcompensating on that with you know Zaire Williams because sure. uh, they did the same thing with him, right? Over this past summer, uh, they put him in a similar situation to Bain. They are like let you know, let's see what you got. We know you can be a, a catch and shoot spot up shooter, uh, but let's see you handle uh, these you know playmaking responsibilities. Um, so you know, actually, you know, I'm kind of high on Zaire. I, I think Zaire is gonna supplant Dylan Brooks in the starting lineup at some point, you know, kind of he's, he's injured right now, but man, Brooks kind of sucks, man. <laughs> you know, like you don't need some dude just jacking up stuff, you know, like you don't need it. You got Moran and Bane, like, you know,
1: so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to with you on Williams. I, you know, it's, it's hard because he hasn't played yet because yeah. it seems like that injury just keeps on getting stretched further and further back. Um, but yeah. I, I would be surprised if Brooks, you know, I think he's. This might be his last year under contract. I don't know if they if they move him and try to get up get ahead of it now. Um, but I, I just feel like with with sort of the depth of players that they've got on the wing, like it, Dylan Brooks taking a lot of bad shots, yeah, is not going to be the, the path forward there.
0: Yeah. So he. Yeah. So this is last year. He's a UFA <laughs> next year. So, I mean. Yeah, if Zaire is healthy, once he returns, I mean, maybe think about trading him, right? I mean, I, I well, guess Brooks would be a great microwave off the bench, I
1: guess. I also think that, like, Brooks is uh, just sort of like tenacity. I know we don't... We no, don't them, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, as the kids would say, he's got that dog in him, you yeah, know? no doubt, no doubt. Um, and I feel like that's a team that, that sort of gets... Can get... Uh, get into their nasty streak and they really like they get into the swag and believe it. Uh, I think he's a big part of that too. So, and you know, we were just saying, I was just saying like, you know, it's easy to fall into the young player trajectory and like, right? you know, you, you've seen some nice games from Zaire Williams. You can understand the potential. He was a high draft he player. Hasn't done it. Yeah. He's also still like 20 or whatever. True.
0: No, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's why you are the truth seer, Joel Barr. we'll see about that All All right, right. let's get to this next topic I love watching Orlando play even though you know it's not translating to wins but like you know League Pass I'm always clicking on their games right and um, it's just they're just so fun to watch so fascinating you know the Jumbo lineups are are so fun so um, you know I I picked up NBA 2K23 a few weeks ago and you know I always play 2K and you know I love fantasy drafts and things like that so This whole time while I'm like, I haven't done my fantasy draft season yet, but I'm still just kind of, you know, figuring out the controls, like, you know, working the sticks and things like that. So, but this whole time, I just been thinking like, how do I want to construct my team? And a lot of it is like, yeah, I, I keep leaning towards kind of replicating the Orlando Toronto model, just have length, switchability, things like that. But then But then I'm like, ah, you know, like having the big guy or the fast point guard, like, so I'm like all torn over the place. So I haven't decided which way I'm going to go. I think I'm leaning towards just long switchability, but uh, I wanted to ask you, like, so if you were going to do like a fantasy draft, like how would you want to construct your squad?
1: So we need to get really specific now because... Okay. Okay. um, Are we asking like, how would I build a 2K team? Because I I have dialed that in. I've just spent enough time uh playing that game to know like how yeah. how you the, eat the, the new of the play. game.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, which is like the sort of template is uh, uh rim protecting, shot blocking big in this most recent incarnation of the team I put together, um, that that players on Yeku Kongwu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a athletic four that runs frequently mm-hmm. I'll i'll draft porter jr and slide him down there okay um and then like uh really aggressive uh like bulldog guards defensively and then like a because in that game i find that the the wing is way less valuable than it is in real basketball the wing is almost always like uh OG Ananobi or matisse Tybalt or, like, a, a lockdown defender that I just put on the, the best player on the other team. Yeah. Um, so the yeah, idea is... Like defense like, with championships. That's, that's your it's mind. defense right? and then <laughs> transition <laughs> offense. Um, oh, okay. That's... Like, a guy like Porter is so valuable there because, it, yeah. especially at the four, like, he just runs past yeah, these yeah. Lo- he's older or these slower uh, fours. So, yeah, it's, it's really okay. just, like, get the stop, get out and transition. Mostly yeah. because, like, I... Find that I'm a really bad shooter in that game, and so the goal is to get to the rim as often as possible. Nice. Okay.
0: No, no, that's great. How do you run your how do you run your half, half court sets?
1: I uh, mostly just like uh, screen and roll uh-huh. and try to find the switch or the okay. uh, you know so like like I said I I've, I've just I've done this a lot yeah. so the, the it's like Okongwu, Shea, MPJ. Um, Og, and I don't remember the the other guard is, but it's just like find the the one of the two guards that has like the weaker guard, defender on them, okay. and then go at you the just, slowest You just make the
0: matchups, you hunt the
1: matchups. Sorry. And, like, try <laughs> to get to the rim, um, because I can't, I just cannot make the job. Sure.
0: <laughs> No, I, I hear you. No, that's great. I love it. I love it. Um, I I didn't I didn't know that you were such a a, a fantasy drafting nut. I love it. Uh, so,
1: I'm gonna expose myself as like just um, an elder millennial now because my entire like 2K experience is the opposite of how I think most people play. Which is like I don't play online, I don't play mm-hmm. against other people. I've, I've just figured out the computer and I do it oh. over and over and over right, again. Right, right. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was I played a little bit online like for most of the games. You know, I play all the sports games. I don't really like to play online too much. I just prefer to do my fantasy draft, you know, franchise mode and mm-hmm. just do it that way. Uh, from time to time, there's been friends I played with, you know, we do the fantasy draft we play, or sometimes we just sim a season. Um, yeah. You know, college, you know, we just you know smoke weed and get high and drink and, you know, we place bets on, you know, <laughs> you know simulated games and stuff like that. It was, it was awesome, it was great.
1: Um, You're little wayne man did you see that clip yeah. of i think mean, of wayne and baby like gambling like tens of thousands of dollars on a simulated yeah 2K that's game. great
0: yeah it's great it's great so you know when during covid um you know jack kings they had uh you know sim- the madden they simulate the madden games and they would have fantasy contests running on that and i was like my mind was blown because i was like oh it's God. happened it, it's it's happened like i never you know back in college you know that's what late 90s right like I never thought I'd see the day, but uh, yeah, it was wild. It was wild to see, but it's crazy. So yeah, no, that's cool, man. It's good get to know your, uh, you know, you're a, a 2K OG, I guess, to some degree, right? Like, uh, got it all broken. Yeah, down.
1: I definitely. I've spent spent some time on the sticks. I have spent some time. I have gotten very good at beating their CPU. Like I, 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 <laughs> I don't say that I'm good at 2K because like I know that that's a whole like subculture. Yeah. I would absolutely get trashed if I yeah. played against a human being. But I yeah. know the tendencies of the machine well enough to beat yeah. it. Nice. Nice. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> That's right. uh, That's yeah, send me your send me the roster when you build it. I'm curious.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to get that down. So I I, I got most of my I think I figured out which offense, which plays I wanna run and then like, you know, I've been practicing my stick skills on this, like uh, certain moves that I kind of wanted to have so yeah I'll probably get get I'll probably get going with that soon alright next uh next guy here Tobias Harris he's a top 30 player I mean he was going super late in dress when I was doing my projections and, and rankings I just kept sliding him down 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 <laughs> down down Um I I mean I forgot what his ADP was but I'm I think it was like close to 90 in the 80-90 range you know, maybe closer to a hundred. Right. So man, you know, a lot of people are loving life right now, uh, with the type of uh, production that they're getting from him. Uh, and now that James Harden is out, he, you know, moves up the offensive totem pole. So yeah. Give me your thoughts on Tobias Harris.
1: I, I feel bad because I, I'm just going to be like poo-pooing a lot of these players and it starts with Tobias Harris. Um, (laughs) One of the things that I really love about about Basketball Monster is that you can see where the value is coming from. Yeah. Um, and so just like looking at what Tobias is doing this year versus what he's done over the last couple of seasons, the usage is down, the scoring is down, the threes are up, the rebounding is pretty stable, the dimes are down, the steals are way up, the blocks are a little bit up. Field goal percentage is about the same. Free throw percentage is down. The turnover rates, the positive turnovers is looking good. So it seems like most of the value here is coming from threes and steals. He's not scoring as much. He's not shooting as much. um, And he's not shooting as accurately as he has in the past. I feel like this is a guy who is getting steals and making threes. Uh, and not turning the ball over. And that's why his numbers look as good as they do. I, you know, with a player like uh, Christian Coloco, it's, you know, you do a little bit more, like, uh, reading and trying to figure it out. But with Tobias Harris, like, we have a a much longer track record that we can go back to. Um, He's averaging 1.4 steals a game this year. He's never – Never been close to that. <laughs> um, yeah, he's played forever. He came in as a 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in an 11-year career, he's had one season where he averaged more than one steal a game. So I, I feel like the the, the balloon is going to deflate here pretty soon. And the fact that he's not he's not scoring as much is really worrisome. Um, obviously, there will be an opportunity now because of the injury to, to Harden. Um, you know, everyone sort of moves up a little, a notch in the pecking order. Yeah. But I'm not a huge believer in Tobias Harris as the, the fantasy difference maker.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it's just yeah. You pretty much nailed it on the head, and that's why you are the truth sayer. The purveyor of truth. Well, I mean,
1: and now that I have now that I have his numbers <laughs> up, like there's actually a couple of red flags here. One is that okay, the free throw rate is way down. He's attempting 1.7 a game. Uh, Last year, that number was 2.8. The year before, 3.3, 3.0, 3.3, 4.3, 7. Those really productive years in Philadelphia, he was going to the line almost twice Mm -hmm. as often. Um, Uh, The usage rate was probably over 20% back then. Mm -hmm. And the the three-point attempts are up to 5.7 this year. Um, That's the most it's been since he played – Half a season in Detroit, so yeah, it feels like this guy is, is shooting more threes. He's shooting them accurately at this point, but uh, you would like to have a little bit more, you like more free throws just to help provide a sort of a baseline for points. Um, yeah, that the bounds are sort of starting to slide a little bit too worrisome. You know, I, I just I think this, I think this is gonna this is gonna peter out before too long.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. All right, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, Mitchell Robinson got injured. Um, he was actually playing more minutes recently, regardless of Mitchell Robinson. Uh, so, give me your thoughts on his short-term, long-term outlook.
1: You know, I had I had thoughts on Isaiah Hartenstein, and then I remember that that's Tom Thibodeau, and just like I just don't, under- I don't understand why he does the <laughs> things that he does. Um,
0: He started Jericho Sims last game.
1: (laughs) I know. That's what I had in mind. I was like, I don't get it. Um, In general, I think Isaiah Isaiah Hardenstein is a really useful fantasy player. I think he gets blocks uh, and he doesn't kill your free throw rate, which is great. Um, He rebounds well. The field goal percentage is pretty steady. Um, I, I think that coming to New York was probably better for his career. Um, And I would be much more bullish on him long term if they hadn't have given that money to Mitchell Robinson. As far as like Jericho Sims getting the start, like maybe that's just a thing where like Thibodeau likes him off the bench and he likes a a specific grouping of players, and that's why uh, he doesn't he didn't get the start even though Robinson is out. Um, I don't know how long is is Robinson out for? Do we know?
0: Not sure. Yeah, let me see if I can. If let me see if there's an update.
1: But that would be – you know, you would think that that would be the time to really make hay is when Robinson is out of the picture. Um, The fact that that Sims started, I can't imagine that's real, you know. But then again, it's Thibodeau. Like, how long have we been waiting for Evan Fournier to finally fall out of the rotation? It's happening now. It doesn't mean that it's ever – Yeah, yeah, I don't
0: know. Like, maybe – yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it was a matchup thing. He wanted Sims on Cat. I, <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what he's thinking. Um, but, yeah, I mean, their defense has been brutal, the Knicks, right? So maybe he's just trying to shake things up a little bit here. Have Hardenstein off the bench because he's more of, like, offensive-oriented. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement here. Like, he's solid, but the ceiling is capped. Is, is by a variety of factors uh but you know that doesn't mean he can't be useful for for uh, fantasy so uh, it would be interesting yeah it'll be interesting to see if how you know dibs kind of manages everything um
1: who knows i'm just i'm glad that quentin grimes got to play for like a minute you know that that, <laughs> that finally happened the, the untouchable piece in this mitchell robinson deal that didn't go down finally had to play <laughs> oh.
0: I think uh, once he gets healthy, though, I think he's going to be a pretty uh, significant contributor. Um, Yeah, because I think Fournier is toast. I think so, too. I thought so last year, though. Yeah, no, true, true. Um, And especially with the defensive issues that they're having, you know, Grimes is is a solid defender, (laughs) so I think he's going to want him in there. He just needs to get healthy. So, uh, yeah, all right, we'll see. All right, Jabari Smith, man people are like jumping out of windows because of him right now from a fantasy perspective of course um give me your uh give me your thoughts there
1: uh so smith hit the wire in a 10 team league that i play in which makes a lot of sense to me like i a league that shallow you really should be able to find productive players you know um and so holding holding a rookie that isn't producing is uh is not a thing that you should be doing. He has not hit the wire in any of the twelves that I play in or anything deeper than that. And I think that's probably smart. I don't have Smith anywhere. Um, if I did, you know, knowing what the the, the draft equity was um, or the, the cost was on draft day. You you really should be patient. You know, he's not what's really been bad for him is his field goal percentage. He's like
0: yeah.
1: sub forty. Um 50%
0: might be 30-something. So, 40, 30
1: something. Yeah, 30, so it's, it's been bad. He's not that bad of a shooter. You know, you look back at what he did at, at Auburn and, and sort of what he was projecting as. Um, He's at
0: 30, so, 30%. 30% from the field, 30% from
1: three. <laughs> yikes. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, if I had him on a roster, I don't know if I'd start him. Um, I, I'd try to hang on to him if I could. I'd try to be patient if I could. Um, you know, we're... We're like 10, 12 games into the season now, um, so there's still there's still time, we you know 12% through the season or whatever, but it's not it's not a ton of time to be carrying that much dead weight. I, if you drafted him because you believed in him, I think you should stick with it, um, if you can. But I definitely understand the temptation to drop him. I don't know where the usage is really going to come from. You know, we were talking in the past about what was going on with Shingun, and he's moved into the starting lineup now, and that's that's one other player that that Smith is sharing the floor with that isn't going to be giving him uh, isn't going to be giving him his shots. You know, maybe things get better when Eric Gordon finally gets moved or KJ Martin gets moved, but I don't know. It's it's hard. It's a hard spot to be in. I'm I'm glad I'm, I'm not in it. Are you dropping him?
0: I wouldn't. Um, But yeah, you'd have to take pain. (laughs) Um, You know, he's given you kind of what you drafted him for, right? Blocks, rebounds, um, some threes. You know, I think everyone knew that the shooting was going to be rough, but I don't think they expected it to be this rough. Yeah. Um, But, you know, he's, he's still very young, right? 19, not even 20 years old. So, you know, as Kate, you know, showed last year, You know, I mean, it took him almost till February, basically, right, to kind of figure things out. And then after that, like, he was a monster. But you made a good point in terms of usage, right? So he was, Kate was given tons of opportunity to kind of work through all his problems, whereas Jabari is in a different situation because that's not really his role. Um, But I do think that the, um, the shooting will get better. I do. It it's just, yeah, it's just a matter of it's just a matter of time. Like, yeah, is it gonna be, you know, forty-five percent? Probably not. You know, he'll probably end up forty percent, you know, low forties, right? But I mean, it's a massive improvement from thirty percent, right? And so, you know, I mean, the blocks, the defensive stats. I mean, I'm surprised the steals are are, are kind of light. Uh, I do kind of expect the steals to to tick up as well. So, yeah, I would not I would not drop them, but. It just depends on, I guess, your expectations and your tolerance for pain, roster construction, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, thirty yeah. percent on ten point nine field goal attempts—that's that's that's it's rough, right? That's, a, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, it's that's rough, a lot of so.
1: this. It is.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just really depends on you know your your squad, um, and you know, obviously, what kind of league that you play in, right? Like roto leagues, like. <laughs> you know, that's tough. That's really tough.
1: Yeah. If you can bench him, maybe that's the way to do it. Like, I just, at this point, yeah. like, I don't think he's helping your team if you start him. Um, yeah, like, let me see. He is too, I like, guess. So like, he's averaging 10 points while shooting that badly. So like, yeah, you know, if you can get another 12% on your field goal percentage, you're going to be scoring like 14 points. So,
0: yeah, and you, you know, know the environment. So. The environment in Houston is is a plush one, right? So, um, hold on, let me see. So, oh, yeah, so in my main event team, right, twelve team leagues, it's a roto. Uh, There's only four bench spots. Yeah, I mean he's still on a roster, and you know that's a roto league, right? So, uh, hold on, let me see which team has him and what his field goal percentage is. <laughs> Right. It can't so, be good. Oh, yeah, I'm... so so Curtis. Curtis Gazewich has him, and he's hurting in this league because he has Kyrie Irving as well. So his field goal percentage is, oh, that's his free throw. oh yeah, so he's, he's 11th at 45.85%. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, he's got Kyle Larry, Jalen Suggs, yeah, Jabari's killing it. Jalen Green is in, is killing it. Marcus Smart. So yeah, he's in, he's in trouble. He's in trouble
1: there. From <laughs> a field goal percentage. Looking at Smith's shot chart is kind of interesting because he's okay. he's shooting the ball really really well from two spots. Uh, one is the right corner, the three, and the other one is the the straight on three. And everything else is pretty frosty. I'm like, you know, making corner threes is one thing. I am encouraged. The left left corner three. The left corner three. Excuse me. Um, But making them from straight on is good news, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It means that something is working here. But, yeah, it's – you know, like we were saying with young players earlier, it's like it takes time. It really – it's a hard league to walk into as a teenager, you know? Uh, I'm not – I'm not – I'm not – I'm not jumping out just yet, but whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: and even though it's been, you know, 10, 12 games for some teams, um, the sample size is still very small. Um, You know, a lot of people are saying you got to give at least 25 games for certain kind of things to be identified. Um, So, yeah, I would give it at least until then because there's still – you know, that's the thing about early in the season, right? Everything becomes magnified and, and heightened. It you know, just like the emotion and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So, we'll set, up, we'll, you know, we'll set it down here. We touched on Michael Porter Jr. a little bit earlier uh, in the beginning of this conversation, you know, this pod. Uh, there's been chatter. Not really chatter, but I've seen a couple, I guess, pieces or opinions of, you know, people thinking that um, Michael Porter Jr. would be best served or the Denver Nuggets who he best served if Michael Porter Jr. was the microwave off the bench and having Bruce Brown into the starting lineup because, you know, not only can he hit the three, but he's a better defender, whereas MPJ has some issues on that side of the ball. Uh, but then, you know, I mean, there's been some... Uh, the, I guess, what's the word? I don't even know. The cohesion between he and Jokic has kind of been developing. So, you know, maybe you don't want to break that up. So, yeah, so give me your thoughts on, on those two things.
1: I think it's too much. I think you've committed too much money to Michael Porter to bring him off the bench,
0: um,
1: unless it's something that he's really willing to do. I also, you know, I, I really like Bruce Brown. I liked him a lot in Brooklyn last year. I think he, he showed that he is a really nice uh, sort of complimentary player. I thought the way he played with Kevin Durant uh, with the Nets was really kind of perfect. He was cutting a lot. Uh, he was getting out in transition. Obviously a, a strong defensive player. He just like is a is a heady ball player. That yeah. seems like someone that would really excel playing next to Jokic. It doesn't surprise me that you know his numbers look so good. Um, I don't know if you can replace. Maybe you replace you know Porter Jr. With Brown, because of the defensive stats, but you know the the number that you that you highlighted for Brown, that the 42% from from three, doesn't seem real to me. Um, I mean, he's another guy that I looked at uh, his sort of shot distribution stuff ahead of this, and um, he's really taking a lot of different his shot diet is really different in Denver than it was in Brooklyn. It's much more three point heavy. Um, you know the player that I remember for the Nets was a guy who sort of was a killer from about 15 feet in, uh, but he's he's shooting 41 41% of his shots in depth on threes. That's more than 10% more than anything he's ever shot before. Um, he's shooting 56% above the break threes. I think similar to. Tobias, this is a guy who's shooting the ball really well to start of the year. I, you know, it's possible I suppose that Brown really worked on the three-point part of his game uh, over the offseason, and it's really developed. But um, I would be surprised if that's if that's really the player that he is now. Um, the other thing that's really encouraging, at least if you're a guy who's holding Brown, is that 3.6 of his attempts are classified as either as open or very open, which means he's getting at least four to six feet of space with the defender, uh, for three. And he's making 44%. So he's hitting open shots right now. It seems like he's getting a lot of, them. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that's something that is sustainable, but I would, I would expect those three point numbers to tick back down because it's such a big portion of his diet. I think that will, that will come, you know, they'll also to pull the value back down. Um, uh, And, you know, actually, it's strange. Porter, too, is shooting a ton of threes also. Kind of an alarming rate. Um, 58.4% of his shots are now threes. That's more than 12% than over the last two seasons. The field goal percentage value that he was bringing to the table has also been negatively impacted by that. It seems like just a lot of threes happening in Denver. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to, to be using Porter or Brown. Um, I would be surprised if, if Brown was the real starter there, but I don't know. It seems to be working, I guess. You know, Denver's playing okay and, and yeah. scoring a lot.
0: Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Um, you know, looking at the shot chart, you know, just uh, historical kind of uh, production, you know, what's the outlier, what's, you know, kind of a new trend. Uh, those are all good things, you know, especially this early in the season where uh, we know the sample sizes are small, but yet sometimes you can kind of like see some stuff and kind of get in before the trend happens, right? So um, I like how you kind of broke everything down. Um, I, I do agree with it. Uh, I don't think it's uh, sustainable uh, to that degree. So it'll be interesting how they, you know, kind of, uh, you know, do all that, everything. Um,
1: you know, well, the Nuggets are shooting, their effective three point percentage is 62.8. Which is the best in basketball? It's three points higher than uh, Cleveland, who's next. Like, I think there's just been a lot of three pointers that have gone in for the Nuggets to start this year.
0: You know, you know, it's crazy. Is they shot more three pointers last year, though.
1: <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, they're well, hitting only, them now.
0: Hold on, hold on. Wait, actually, hold on. Let me see. So, all right. So they were 13th in the league last year at 35.9. So this year so far they are 21st the 32. wow that's yeah, interesting been... right yeah I don't know. That. yeah that is interesting i don't know what yeah yeah so i'm curious to see i have a feeling that's that's gonna go back up right especially as jamal murray plays more i'm trying to think why i mean aaron gordon's or aaron gordon's but playing... oh it's got to be jokic right let's see what jokic is
1: it's Jokic like, is not hitting as many threes. Um, yeah. I'm not KCP has got something to do with that, with so, those numbers, with the conversion rate being
0: up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, so Jokic is at 2.1 attempts. Uh, that's massive. He was at 3.9 last year. He was over mm-hmm. three the last prior four, five years. So, um, yeah, man, man still Jokic, 12.6 field goal attempts. That's crazy. I mean, at some point, it's going to tick back up, right? At some point. <laughs> He's um,
1: enjoying having, like, healthy teammates for the first time in two yeah, years. Yeah, well, well, yeah. You know,
0: well, you know, it's funny is, you know, a lot of people were like, and, you know, projections and all that stuff, like, he was basically double, you know, like higher value or double the value of, like, the next guy, right? And so people are always like, yeah, you know, Jokic, like, you know, you can't go wrong. He's, a, you know, bona fide number one, like, you're dumb if you. You know don't take them there but you know there were some people that were kind of like well you know whether they were saying it from a cynical aspect or not but like this is the year he gets hurt or you know like this is the year something comes out and to some degree there's some validity in the sense that like something cannot go up forever right like at some point right things come back down or they roll over or they kind of like settle or you know so um for all the people that jack to joke is you, you know it sucks right this is the year it has to happen <laughs> but it kind of makes sense right because you know like you're saying you're like guys get healthy right uh new additions to the team right the team is better so he doesn't have to carry so much as a load um so yeah you know there were definitely signs there but uh it's very difficult you know like what well, Shea's the number one player right like can you really take Shea over Jokic at number one? No, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess because yeah. you're playing for the floor, right? You're playing for the floor too and access to the ceiling, so yeah, it's a tough one. But,
1: but yeah, yeah, I, I feel guess. like I feel like you could have gone Galaxy Brain and not taken Jokic, but I also feel like there is something to be said about like this guy's gonna unless he's hurt, this guy's a first rounder, kind of no matter what, you know. Yeah, no uh, for sure. I'm just throwing shit out there.
0: <laughs> I just try to start. <laughs>
1: I've always wanted to happen, so uh, maybe next year won't be number one, and I can finally have him on (laughs) a
0: roster. Yeah, what I mean, what an unbelievable run! Just uh, and you know the thing is, is even in a quote-unquote down year, right? He's still you know top ten, so it's not like you know he sucks or anything, which is insane, which just shows how much above the field that he was before. It's. uh, you know, like most players, if they lose five field ball per attempts, like they're, you know, they're getting crushed. Their value's crushed, right? Um, Almost you know, almost two three-pointer attempts as well. That's just insane. Insane. All right, Let's end this soon. I want to touch on two last topics before we sign off. One is uh, Colin Sexton. So we had a nice debate in the last week's pod. Uh, Joel's, you know, pumping up his hands in in jubilation Uh, he made the right decision so Sexton averaged 16.9 minutes per game over the first six games I guess it kind of makes sense right Um, offseason surgery you know he had another injury as well no need to bring him you know rush him back Uh, they brought him along slowly over the last five games 32, 24, 31, 29, 27 minutes he's the microwave and he's been in the closing lineup so let's let, let's hear it. Let's hear the elation, the joy, the celebration, the confetti, all that good stuff. What your Joe?
1: I mean, it just means that I that I didn't get so brutalized on that deal that I did for Sexton for Joel Murray because Murray Murray looks good. He's He's definitely starting to work his way back. Um, yeah, you know, it's. I think it's one of those things with with Sexton. Just like don't. There are things that you can react to in the early season and you know minutes. Role was one of them, but you can also you can also sort of be prisoner of the moment too. Um, obviously, the Jazz's early season success is kind of confusing. It's certainly uh, surprising, but overall, like we don't just we don't anticipate the Jazz winning the Western Conference or having the best record in the West. We understand that a lot of the moves that were made ahead of this season were in preparation of having uh, a bad record and a better shot at drafting Victor. Um, you know, winning your first, winning nine of your first 11 games um, probably doesn't change your plans if you're the Utah Jazz or Danny Ainge. And so, you know, there definitely were moments where I didn't feel very good about that Sexton trade, but the, You know, the thinking behind it of just, like, this dude is going to play. You know, he – on his way out the door from Cleveland, they gave him a four-year deal. The Jazz traded for him knowing that or because they had that stability. Um, Mike Conley wasn't getting any younger. Jordan Clarkson has been great to start this year. I'm I'm very happy for him. But, you know, you can also – you know, you can get sort of sucked into what is happening – in the early season, and it's not if it's not running to the same sort of frequency of the overall plan, it can lose sort of mistakes. And so, I call him mostly because I didn't really think there were better options for me on the wire. And uh, because you know, was, the thing that he the thing that he does well, the thing that I traded for him uh, for is scoring. And even in limited minutes, he was able to produce. I think those minutes are going to continue. I would still upset. I think it's now like four for four on this podcast of saying, I would be surprised if both Clarkson and Conley were on the roster by the end of the year. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't see how, how this fast start would change the overall trajectory of what he's doing.
0: I, I do agree. I think at some point they're going to trade him, but there's two things that, um, kind of interject into it, right? One is, you know, a lot of people within the organization are like, man, we love Clarkson, you know, like for some reason they really like him, whether it be, I think it's from both the basketball and off the court standpoint. Um, So I don't know exactly what that reason is, but that's out there. Or maybe they're just playing 40 chess and right, just to build up his value even more, So that's definitely a possibility. Uh, The second aspect or the second thing that I'll, I'll put into this is, even though I agree with you that I think at some point they'll be traded, but what if they are in the top three, top four, of the Western conference by the trade deadline? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's, it's not something that we have, you know, we can dismiss completely, right? Because there's no way we thought they would be right first in the Western conference right now. And then what are they? Nine and three, eight and three, eight, yeah, nine and three right now. Yeah. So it's something that we, you know, we have to entertain because it's, it's within the range of outcomes, right? So if they are in that type of position, I mean, they kind of have to, I mean, they have to be buyers at that point, no?
1: Oh, man, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) I guess part of the reason why I keep on saying it can't be like this is because I don't want to actually have to go through the thought of like, well, what if it isn't, Joel? Like, No, I'm just going to insist that I'm right and be intractable in this. Um, I can't imagine them being buyers. Like uh-huh. um, they're they're really set up to be a team that can um, that be sort of taking sending pieces out rather than taking people on. I don't you know I don't know what the the direction of the team would be if you say like we're going to stick to this Conley Clarkson backcourt going forward. Like, what what is the, the sort of overall, like, vector of the team? Is their best player is Jordy Clarkson or Mike Conway? I mean, like, I think, actually, I think that what's happening with the Jazz and what I've seen is that they play an incredibly, like, spirited uh, brand of basketball. I think that these are all professionals that were pissed off that everyone said that they were bad. That you know this was going to be a, a completely lost season, and that they were playing with a lot of pride and a lot of enthusiasm. And I think that you know we're we've got seventy more games of basketball ahead of us. Like I I trust the meat grinder of the NBA calendar to sort of do its work here. Um, um, no
0: definitely. You
1: know, no, I, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So it's just I given like. Uh, given the way that the, the jazz are winning of mostly efforts, I don't think that they are the more talented team or the most talented team in the Western Conference that um, you know enthusiasm is, will mass a great number of sins I don't think you can get all the way there throughout 82 th- throughout 82 games just on one to um, especially as some of these other teams start to sort of catch their footing a little bit like, you know, I don't really think that the Warriors are a 36% win win team. You know, um, the Timberwolves are still figuring it out. The Clippers are starting to rate right the ship a little bit. Um, you know, Dallas, Memphis, these teams could be moving up in the standings as well. Um, yeah, I, I just I'm I'm giving it more time before I start really contemplating like, well, what if you wanted to make a, a contender out of these Jazz? yeah
0: no and, and and i'm with you and i think um there would be a huge distinction that i'll make between say like okc and utah right um so all right so say utah is in the position where they're you know not just a play play in team but an actual like legit playoff contender so okay so say you say the thunder and utah were in the same position right just you know hypothetically right so say like whatever say they had chet and Right, they're both you know like firmly squarely within the playoff hunt race. Um, in that in that scenario, the way that Utah's contracted, kind of like what you're saying, uh, because their vision is more for the long term, and they don't view like Conley Clarkson, well maybe Clarkson, but they, definitely they don't view Conley as like a uh, the leader of the ship going forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In that scenario, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think they become buyers, but I think they will just let it play out. Right, just all right, have fun, you you kids have fun, do your thing, right, whereas OKC, because they are so young, and because those guys are, like, Shay's the leader, he's the captain of that ship, right, Mm -hmm. they have the pieces, they have that core that they're willing to go, that they're, you know, trying to develop right now, if it was OKC, then they would definitely be buyers, right, like, right, like, Initially, they're like, okay, one banana, whatever, sweepstakes, right? But I think if they were in that position, I think they would retool their roster, right? Because at that point, you're in the playoffs, you're not going to get one banana, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have a lot of guys that they could package and kind of try to upgrade, right? They have a lot of, you know, draft picks as well. So I, I think OKC type of team, like they would handle it much differently than Utah. Where you know Utah, like, OKC, they'd be like, all right, let's go for it, right? Whereas Utah'd be like, you know, have fun, kids, right? <laughs> do, do your thing. Here's your opportunity, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's how I read that too. Of just like, I think that getting guys like Shay and Josh, um, uh, and Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams, uh, an opportunity to succeed is really important, you know, because like that's the that's the group going forward and like yeah. if they're in a spot where they can get playoff experience. They can understand what that, that, that whole like postseason play is about, you know, in theory, that's where you want to go with those guys anyway. Yeah. Those are the guys that you're going to be going there with as opposed to the jazz with 35 year old Mike Conley, 30 year old Jordan Clarkson. Um, you know, this is, 31 year old Kelly O'Lenick. Like this is not the group that you feel like we gotta get these guys seasoned. They gotta know what they're doing. You gotta understand what the future is about. Um, which is why I'd be I'd be so surprised if the Jazz were were buyers of just like you know. You have the you have the sell pieces guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. All right. Last uh, thing before we head out of here. Watching the uh, rewatching the Kobe 81 point game. The other day, <laughs> he had 53 points with nine minutes and 47 seconds left in the game. Freaking 28 points in under 10 minutes, like that's insane. So then, you know, did a little research. I mean, then it drove me to the. Then I rewatched the Clay Thompson game. 37 points in a quarter. Like, I think he ended up at 52 or something like that. And it just fucking amazing, man. These guys are fucking amazing. Um, you said that you were at the clay game so like give me the, uh,
1: yeah
0: like the boots on the ground like was it just insane or like what was going on it,
1: it was so much fun um this is back in uh in, like, i guess it, it wasn't super before times but it was early enough in the warriors rise where like going to games was something i was doing a lot of uh that was games against the kings uh, Thompson was shooting at our basket, your we upper bowl, broke boy section. You're um, we shooting at our basket for that quarter. And, I mean, you, you've seen guys get hot. You've seen NBA players get hot. But I remember vividly, I don't remember where it was in the sequence, uh, Thompson caught a ball in the corner and hit it and fell into the bench. And I was just like, I don't know if this guy will ever miss again. <laughs> and if, if that was the one that went in, yeah. uh, I don't know how he could ever miss. It was so electric. Like, I've never – obviously, I've never seen anything like it before because it's a very rare thing that happened in general. But it it was – as it was going on, you were conscious of, like, how, how insane the thing that you were watching was. It was so – cool um and especially during those those like war that warriors era i guess still I, that era is still happening even though i'm not there anymore but like you were used to seeing uh steph do that of just like you know curry gets hot scores 25 points in a quarter the game is over um but it was a delight to see thompson do it um, you know he was hitting mid, mid-rangers I think he dunked a couple of them. Like it was, it was super fun.
0: Were you guys like, um, was everybody just standing up the whole time, just going crazy, or like, yeah?
1: I think like once he once he scored like ten, it was just like, oh shit, just give him the ball, like just give him the ball and see what happens. And then, you know, like Oracle just got so loud and like those games were rowdy as hell. Anyways, Um, it was. It was great. It was, a, it was a thing where, like, you really... Very seldomly do you get to see someone be that excellent at the thing that they're doing. Um, it was an amazing thing to watch.
0: Dude, that's, that's so awesome. I wish I was there, too. But, yeah, it's... Uh, I enjoy watching greatness. Um, and even though I'm, like, an old curmudgeon now that I hate going to games because of traffic and... Just being around other people and just how how much expensive it is, but you know, if you're able to watch like performances like that, you know, just watch greatness, like it's 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 amazing. Speaking of greatness, um, you are great, Joel. Thank you again for joining me uh, as well on this pod. Um, Let's sign off. We're at 121. So um, thank you again. Till next week, sir. Take care, sir. Cool, man. Later.